Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Marianne Pina. And I'm Joe Fracho. And this is American Airs, and we are so grateful today to have in studio Mr. May Her Masso. You know, it is May M A H E R. Yeah, yeah. Even though when I met him, he wasn't M A Y O R. So uh, Mayher was a mayor, um, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But thank you, for Mayor, for taking the time and coming into studio. My pleasure. Yeah, I think my mom knew something I didn't know, and, and so the name <laughs> Mayor Mayor, right, worked really well for for marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly did. That if that's what it takes, you know, we'll have to. If we have another child, we'll have to do that. Um, I met Mayor. Gosh, it's about three and a half years ago. You were still Mayor of uh, Frisco, and I think you're about six months from transition. And uh, I just, you know, was so impressed by your background, your history. And I thought, you know, we got to get you in studio because you have such a unique American narrative. That's such an unique story. And let me give you a little background on Mayor. I'll brag on him a bit. And honestly, I could spend the whole episode talking about Keep it short, Joe. Keep yeah, it yeah, short. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could. So let, let me give you the very much Cliff Notes version, understanding I will we'll have missed a lot. But currently you are principal at uh, Ryan Tax Advisory Services. I believe it's a bit largest non-accounting tax advisory service uh, in the United States or world, whichever it is. Uh, 97% of Fortune 500 uh, uh, companies actually use your services. That's very impressive. Um, Prior to that, I know that you were CEO of uh, Prosper Economic Development Corp. And then we met each other, like I said, when you were mayor of Frisco, where you got elected three times, were mayor just over nine years. And you know, uh, you were the fastest growing city, 2000 to 2010, um, still a fast growing city. How, how big was it when you took over as mayor? Oh, boy, Joe. It was, uh, well, actually, when I moved there, it was 6,000 people. It was actually a farmland. Uh, everybody was related. And I learned that really fast because if you talk about somebody, yeah. that's somebody's cousin, right? So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, when I, when I first got on council in 2000, the, the community was about 33,000 people. So it had grown rapidly in the 90s. And then the 2010 census, it was 116,000. Uh, and today it's about 205,000. So it's still fast growing city in the country. Fastest, you know, so obviously incredible. He's recognized by Money Magazine. The city was as best places to live. It's a hub of sports, sports medicine, entertainment. It's attracted hundreds of head offices, uh, including the Jones family and uh, a franchise called the Dallas Cowboys. I know they made their... Some, that small little thing, right? Yeah. That little small little thing. And even that was such an innovative thing. Yeah. I mean, what you did as far as community and business partnerships with the stadium and so on. Truly amazing. Anyway, so many honors. I can't even I can't even announce them all. But Dallas 500, one of the most influential people in North Texas. I think you got recognized there. Certainly, global. You got the Global Elected Official of the Year award. That's pretty heady stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was fun. You know, we did. Uh, I tried uh, the small town farmland Frisco. Uh, I knew one day it would be an international city, so we had some fun with that. Absolutely. And and beyond obviously the work that you do locally, you do the work internationally. A lot of work uh, over in you know the Middle East, yes. Morocco, a lot of these very romantic locations like that. So, uh, on a personal level, you have a wife and three children. You reside in Frisco, Texas, and you know English and Arabic. Yeah, a little bit on there, but you know that that's kind of part of the story we'll talk about today. Is actually I forgot a lot about it. Uh, you know, I, I moved. Uh, and my family relocated to the U.S. when I was about six years old. And uh, back then, I, I didn't know the language. I, you know, I, I went to, I think it was second grade or third grade, and uh, I knew the words yes and no. <laughs> so you asked me something, <laughs> it was either yes or no. Uh, but being immersed uh, here in the U.S., and I, we actually relocated to Seattle originally, um, uh, learning the language, I actually forgot most of my Arabic. I, I can't read or write it anymore. Um, 
And it was later in life that I started picking it back up a little bit just because I said, you know, I need to learn about my heritage a little more. And uh, while my whole family was here and we were all very close, yeah. I had really never gone back. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit, too. It's, it's the first time I went back. Absolutely. I love that, Mayor. So, you know, with all of your successes, we'd love to learn more about your personal story, right? So where is your family from and, and where were you born? And, and tell us about more about your formative years. Sure. So I was born in, in Jordan uh, in a little town called Madaba. Uh, and, uh, you know, being a Christian family in a predominantly Muslim country, uh, it was always interesting. Um, but I don't remember much of it. Mm-hmm. I remember it was a normal upbringing. We were in a small city that uh, had movie theaters, had shopping. Um, and, uh, we, I went to school and so to me it, it seemed normal. Uh, when I finally did go back, it, it wasn't everything I remembered it was. It was kind of interesting, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, um, yeah, I spent my, obviously most of my life in the U S and a good portion of it was in Seattle. We relocated to Texas in 84. Uh, so yes, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of story there, but I'm the youngest of eight, so, uh, I have a lot of older siblings to learn from. Yeah, youngest of eight, that in and of itself is a broadcast, like how how you survived that one, which uh, it sounds like some very accomplished older siblings that you have, too. Yeah, yes, and, and you know, in my my culture, my family, uh, age matters, <laughs> you know, so I'm the youngest. I, <laughs> everybody else had seniority. I mean, when I finally was elected to mayor, I went home and I said, look, guys, I'm the mayor. You need to listen to me. <laughs> it didn't work that way. No, it didn't work. <laughs> no. It never does. No, it does. It. I was still the baby of the family. <laughs> we'll, we'll exchange notes. I was the youngest, too. And, I was and, the youngest, too, so yeah. we cannot resonate on so that. So youngest children around the table. No matter right? what you accomplish. You're no, still really does You're still the youngest. <laughs> you're still that kid. And, you know, that's all they remember. Got the backseat of the car. Right. <laughs> So, so you came over here when you were six years old. You you ended up in Seattle. Is that where you spent kind of your teenage years, or, or you know, sure. what kind of period of time did you spend in Seattle? Sure, I, I graduated high school in Seattle. I played soccer, played football. Um, so I would say my my youth years were spent in Seattle, uh, and then we relocated here again in 1984. The most of the family um, had a sister that worked for Boeing that stayed up there. We had another sister that was in the biomedic uh, regulatory affairs field. Um, she stayed there. But the majority of the family moved here. And, huh. and because um, Seattle back then, if you recall, we had, uh, we didn't have, there wasn't Starbucks, there wasn't uh, you know, Apple, and, uh, you know, all the other high-tech companies, Amazon. Uh, oh, was, Microsoft, their little company. Yeah, that was just starting out. Just and I was an old IT head, right? But uh, back then it was really Boeing and it was Warehouser. And you either worked for them or worked for a company that provided services for them. Everybody else was just small, small cities. So Seattle's changed a lot. Yeah, it certainly has. It certainly is technology hub in so many ways. So that opportunity brought the family to Texas, it sounded like. Well, I would even go a step back. Opportunity brought the family to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was uh, – my dad recognized uh, that uh, Jordan was a great country, very moderate. Uh, but, but the opportunity, especially for the girls. So, so in my family uh, – Actually, the firstborn was a boy, but he passed away at nine. I, I didn't know him. I, was, I wasn't born yet. Um, and then four girls. And after the four girls came four boys. So a family of eight. Uh, I'm the youngest, and uh, I guess my dad really wanted boys. But the girls were – my dad recognized it wasn't, it wasn't a place for them to have opportunity. Uh, they, you know, their path was really set if they stayed there. And so my, daddy picked, my dad picked up um, – he, uh, you know, we owned farmland. He had a bus company. He was fairly successful. 
Um, but you know there are limits to how successful you are when you're Christian back then. Um, and so we relocated to Seattle, and obviously they valued education. Um, they, my mom worked two jobs. She was a seamstress at Nordstrom's, uh, cleaned houses at night. My father worked in a gas station. Typical American story, right? The parents worked hard, provide for the children, uh, and they put everybody through school. And so my, one of my sisters became an aeronautical engineer. Um, another one, uh, you know, became a worldwide authority on regulatory affairs. So as we're dealing with COVID-19, she really understands the, the sequencing and DNA and all that. It's amazing. Yeah. How yeah. relevant is that? Yeah. Now very, very relevant. I don't understand it. So, so, <laughs> awesome. so I, I joke about it. They got, got to number eight and there was nothing left for me in the brains department. So I became a politician, right? <laughs> you said it. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. I love this story of immigration. So tell us more about that. Like how, how, how what was your upbringing like? How, what was it like to assimilate or integrate into the American society? Yeah, for your whole family. For your whole family. Know. You know, being the youngest, it was uh, all I knew is I was taken care of. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, my parents never really talked about money. They worked hard day and night to, to provide for the children. Um, but being so close, being a family unit, everyone watched out for everyone else. And I learned, uh, again, you got, you got to think about it a little bit. You have the, the, the sisters who are uh, really smart, studied a lot, really smart, we all went through the same schools, so by the time I got into the schools they were in, you know, they had a reputation of being really smart, so I could coast, right? Because <laughs> so, <laughs> he's a muscle, right? He's, he's going to be a smart kid. Well, so, but it was, you know, uh, it was a typical American upbringing. I had friends. We played out in the fields, rode bikes, and, you know, just had a great time. And, and my parents worked really, really hard to make it normal for us. And, and they understood something we didn't at the time, which was we had an opportunity to succeed. Um, you work hard, you put in the hours, you, you have carry the ethics, and you have the opportunity to succeed. And, and so they protected us from the real hard work as we're growing up and allowed us to focus on education. I love that. So tell us more, when you were a kid, so what did you want to be when you grew up, right? Oh, I did not want to be a politician. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I was, uh, being the youngest of eight, um, I probably, uh, let, let me kind of share that, that sentiment with you. I, I had too good of a time. I was really not serious about a lot of things. And to the point of where I just uh, I probably wouldn't be here if I continued on that path. And so when I was about 20, graduated high school, started going to college, um, I was diagnosed with a cancer. I had cancer when I was 20. Um, wow. And um, at, up to that point, I was a partier. I just didn't really care about much. just had fun, wasn't serious. Uh, and, again, staying on that path, that would have been a disaster. And, and that stopped me cold. I've never been to a doctor, got to be around people that were sick, that were really suffering. And it wasn't what I went through necessarily, but seeing others that even were going through a more difficult time. Uh, really changed who I was. It it uh, made me appreciate things that I never would have appreciated before. Uh, and then, you know, a couple, I had surgeries really fast. I mean, I remember I was a football player, soccer player. I don't look like I do now. <laughs> um, but it just it just stopped me cold. Um, and then two years of tests and follow-up. And uh, every day, every time you go for a test, you don't want to answer the phone for the next two days. And, you know, so uh, – but I could look back at that time and tell you that uh, who 
who I am today is because of it. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, wow, that's a, that was you know it's not that must have been very sobering, but also like uh, smelling salts. Yeah, right? yeah that did really just kind of sober you up and and really think about who I am, what I want to be. When when you're confronted with that possibility at 20 years old, that's a very I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, you see suffering of others, and you say you know you, you want to do what you can. And again, it changed the trajectory of my life, you know, into the volunteerism and public service and all that. Interesting. You know, while I didn't know it at the time, uh, I tried to ignore it for the longest time. Uh, it, it really made me who I am today. Thanks for sharing that. Man. So you moved through that, right? I, I mean, at some level, I guess, kind of what did you choose from a career path once you went through that 20-year-old experience where, you know, you fought cancer? Uh, did you finish college? Kind of what? What was your progression post that? Yeah. So again, if you recall, my family is heavily in education. Everyone, you know, has a PhD in the family, a lot of uh, degrees. Um, and again, I dropped out of college. Uh, I, you know, I had to deal with this. And um, uh, after dealing with it, it wasn't like you woke up one day and you're fine. It was still on your mind a lot. Um, so afterward, you start working, family business up your sleeves, make it through life. Uh, and I didn't go back to school. And that was kind of, uh, it was abnormal for the family. Uh, it was interesting. And we started in the business world, always working hard, succeeding. Uh, and it came to the point where, um, uh, you know, got married, had kids, and I never finished and never got my degree. Yeah. And so one day I was having, the con- and I was actually elected to office. We'll, we'll kind of get back to how I got elected, yeah. but jump forward a little bit, I was sitting with my brother-in-law and uh, and my sister, the engineer, married the CEO and chairman of Boeing. And so I was sitting with him and, and we're having a conversation and I valued education. I have to, you know, I had children and it was serious to me and I spoke at schools and told kids about how important education was, but here I am, I never got my degree. And so we're having this conversation and he looks at me and says, well, why don't you go finish? I said, well, Why? I mean, I'm successful, we're, you know, elected official, I have a, we have a business, we're doing okay. He goes, well, it's probably important just to just continue and just, you know, not leave it hanging there like that. And, and I said, well, yeah, and I was wishy-washy about it. And he says, look, you go back to school, I'll pay for it. <laughs> and, and so I said, sure, well, let, let me go take a few classes, we'll try. So I actually enrolled online, it was University of Phoenix at the time, and, and you know, I had a lot of fun. It was, it was actually because that's kind of what I was doing every day. And I had a lot of ongoing education, Texas Municipal League, public speaking, public funds investment. It's not that I didn't enjoy learning. Uh, I just didn't go finish my degree. Yeah. And starting a formal, you know, finishing my bachelor's, uh, I actually felt like I was teaching the classes. And it, it was interactive, and I had so much fun that I said, you know, this is, this is important. Uh, so I got my degree, and then I went and got my master's uh, at University of Texas in Arlington. Uh, again, had, had a blast doing it. It was fun. And actually, one of my goals in life, it's not there yet, is I want to go back and teach. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. I love that. That is a cool story of how uh, the mayor went back and got his degree. Yeah. yeah. I and actually graduated, my got my EMBA at UTA when I was mayor. I was campaigning at the time, first 2008, and... And we were in China and yeah. doing some international stuff, and uh, I, I finished my degree. That I'm not so done cool. yet either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? So no, what no. are you working on now? Well, I want, I want to go either get a, my Ph.D. or, or uh, teach. Okay. Uh, that's, that's kind of one of my goals. Well, you I know all about that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, a little bit, a thing <laughs> or two. So. 
as long as you're ready for it, yeah. you're in for the long haul, right? So, you know, what would you say that you enjoy most about um, the work that you do? So it depends what work I do. Uh, we can talk about Ryan. We can talk about elected official. Uh, let me talk about elected office for a moment. I, for sure. You know, everybody would, I, would, I did a lot in the schools, a lot of career days, a lot of, um, you know, mentorship. And one, two questions I got all the time was, you know, what's your favorite thing about this job? And I said, well, first, not a job, really. I choose to do this. It's, it's not really about money. Um, but the, it was a very easy question to answer, meeting people. You meet the most interesting people. Uh, and I'm not talking about meeting a president or the Dalai Lama. I met both of them. They're really cool people, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really meeting everyday people that will come to you that would not have before. And you learn something from them. And it's their old adage. Uh, I always believed in this before I knew there was a book about it, which was don't eat lunch alone. Uh, you you get to learn so much and and get to meet some really neat people. So the best part of what I did as mayor was exactly that meeting people I would have never met before. Uh, and I can I can have example after example before this podcast. I don't want to go on forever, but um, that's clearly what I would leave anybody listening to this is get out of your comfort zone, go have lunch with somebody you don't usually would, or you know talk to somebody next to you on the airplane, or or it, it opens doors and you learn so much. Uh, then the other question I get was, what's the worst part about this job? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's always a worst, right? And that one's really easy to answer. Um, I would say half my schedule a uh, year ahead was planned. I knew what it was. And then fires come up two hours from now, or you're planning to leave a vacation, something bad happens, and if you're mayor of a city, it's not like, oh, somebody else go handle this. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be 2 a.m., it could be Sunday. Uh, so the schedule was didn't allow for a lot of personal time or family time. You really worked hard to make that happen, but it always interfered. So those, those that's the good and the bad right there. Yeah, you, it really is a lifestyle, not a job, isn't it? Exactly, I mean, and, yeah. and, and when I think of your career, tell me if I'm right, I really think it's a couple of inflection points. One is deciding to run for mayor and then post-mayor. Yeah. yeah. Right? I, I, what what drove you to, to want to be the mayor of Frisco, Texas? And then how did you manage and think through career post-mayor after nine years of that? Well, you know, I, again, I, I didn't. I, I didn't want to be mayor. I didn't want to be an elected official. I, I'll tell you the story of how that happened, actually. Uh, we moved to Frisco, again, 6,000 people, and uh, was building a house. And uh, it was purely on the fact that it was, you know, the new Plano, but the same house was being built in Plano and Frisco. Frisco was a little less expensive and a little better quality. We picked Frisco. It's on the north side of Plano. And the HOA at the time, you know, I wanted a circular driveway, and they said, you can't have one even though there was another house out there that had one. So I, I got upset, right? I was, so I called myself an activist, right? So I, I got on the board of the Driveway HOA. activist. Yeah, yeah, exactly, driveway <laughs> activist. I got on the HOA board and became their president, and I got my driveway. <laughs> we fixed that problem, right? Um, but, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time volunteering before that. Um, it's kind of what opened up the doors of, hey, there's some good in giving back to the community. And so being the HOA president of the, the larger HOA in Frisco at the time, uh, meant you were getting these 10 p.m. calls about somebody on the tennis courts with their rollerblades, right? So <laughs> that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, the school district um, wanted some help with my IT background, so I volunteered for that. And then the city council members would come to you because they wanted all those votes, and you're the president of the HOA. So you slowly get sucked in. And the more people asked me to do, the more I started learning. I enjoy this. I, you know, Back then, we had three schools. You know, uh, 90, uh, in 96, Frisco had six schools. Today, there's 82. Uh, and so on the, on the front end, you had to get, you were involved in 
how do we deal with technology back then? How do we deal with education? Um, and so the more I did, the, the more people got to know me. And, and one day somebody came up to me, a council member, said, you should run for council. And I looked at him and said, well, what's that? <laughs> you know, that's kind of my approach to it, right? <laughs> oh, don't worry, we'll help you, you know. And, and that's what I try when I talk to the kids in school is I tell them, look, when you're doing things, no matter what they are, your homework, your sports, taking out the garbage, do it to the best of your ability. Do it as best as you can because people are watching. And you know you don't know they're watching. You know, when you uh, are taking the garbage every morning out at 8 a.m. because that's your chore and your mom never has to ask you, then your mom may be talking to the neighbor about the kids and she show, shares what you do. All of a sudden, the neighbor needs you to come watch her dog while she's on vacation. And you do that so well, she talks to another neighbor. And before you know it, all you're doing is taking out the garbage and, and you've built this network. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened to me. And... Uh, I ran the first time in 96 regarding an issue. We had an airport in Frisco, and I, I actually lost because it was um, – the split city was split in half. I mean, right down the middle, and you either for pro-airport, anti-airport. Uh, you didn't have to have any other position. Um, and I learned a lot and made a lot of friends, and I also hated politics. I said, I'm not doing this, and I pulled out at the last minute because it was just ugly. It was people doing it for the wrong reasons. Um and so fast forward, that was in 96 to 2000, the group got together again and made me run. Uh, it didn't make, you know, I chose to run, but I had a lot of support doing it, and I won and served for seven years as counsel, and then my term, we have term limits, so it was finished, and I was done. I was going to go back to the business world, and um, a lot of people approached me and said, we need you to run for mayor, and I said, I'm really not interested. I knew enough about then. I knew the hours. Uh, and I just said, I'm really rather not. And uh, of course I did. Uh, after a lot of pressure and a couple of people I truly respected asking me and saying they'll be by my side. And that was one of the commitments I got was that was one person um, you know, committed that as long as I'm there, they'll be there. I said, okay. So that, that's the version of it. Well, <laughs> well, i got to be elected office. Well, and, and then they just wouldn't let you go, right? I mean, yeah, there's yeah. three elected terms, and, and I, I know a lot of the Metroplex, I don't know how many municipalities and mayors there are, probably 50 or 40 or something. You're always near the top, if not the top, as far as notoriety, popularity, and so right. on, and uh, and even recognized nationally in so many ways. So, you know, we could spend hours and hours talking about your mayorship, certainly. But we, we sure could. You were absolutely. But as we talk about kind of post mayor, at one point you said, "I've I've got to move on, transition out of this." What was your process to figuring out your post mayor kind of career and and what you're doing now? Well, it was very difficult, and um, the the people scared me because the previous two mayors says it's it's going to be brutal. You know, they you're done. Because it's on and off, right? You wake up one morning and you're no longer the mayor. There's no transition. You're, it's whoever's elected takes over. Um, and, you know, I, I was able to lean on the things I've always been able to lean on. I have family, close family, close friends. Um, I knew that, uh, you know, we'd be fine. I'd be fine. Uh, did not know what I was going to do. Uh, we have the family business. I was always part of that at some level. Uh, so I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't thinking of doing anything. Uh, Joe, you actually helped me think through some of that. Uh, very helpful. Um, and about, you know, thinking that I was going to sit for a few months and just relax didn't pan out. Uh, immediately got hit by three neighboring cities to try to get me to run for a county judge, um, which is mayor of the county sort of thing. And uh, several cities tried to hire me for uh, 
their um, uh, executive director of economic development. We had some nonprofits approach me, uh, one in Austin, one one here. And I looked at them all. I had some interest in all of them, uh, but I wasn't sure. Um, and actually it became very stressful for a while because it's hard for me to say no. It's one of the things I haven't learned to do really well yet. Um, and so the pressures of different people trying to pull me into their organizations uh, finally said, okay, this, I, I need to do something, something that's not going to be long-term. Just give me a break so I can get my hands busy. And that became the, the city, the town of Prosper became uh, their CEO of the Economic Development Corporation. I know economic development. I know relationships and partnerships. Uh, they also work fast-growing, and I thought they needed some structural help. So my commitment with their mayor, who was a friend, to say, I'll come up there and help, but it'll be short-term. And you deal with the council. I'm not going to deal with your council. <laughs> and so we did, I did that for a while. And, and then from there, I moved over to, to Ryan. Thank wow. you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mayor, with all of your successes, um, clearly there's got to be some challenges or mistakes along the way. And love to hear about that and what your learnings have been. Yeah, so um, you always make mistakes. Um, and uh, some people internalize them. I, uh, I tend to view mistakes as, as lessons, uh, learning opportunities, and just move on. I don't dwell on them. Um, more than the mistakes, you know, the, key, the key to mistakes is having your close advisors around you, uh, people that you rely on, uh, being uh, hiring the right people. Uh, that's critical because when you make a mistake, you have others to lean on, and, and, and they're not shy about correcting you, uh, and you take it as a correction because some people just, they're scared of their boss, right? They're scared of their, you know, they're, they're not getting, the boss tends to get worse and worse because they're not learning. Um, so I wouldn't say any specific thing. I would say numerous of them. I say there were some difficult times. Uh, more than the mistakes, uh, the ones that really were hard on me were um, the difficult decisions uh, that hurt somebody and that you knew it was going to hurt somebody. And I'll, I'll give you an example. A specific example would be we had a lead plant in Frisco called Exide. Um, and Exide was there since the 60s. And, and it was about... 250 employees there, a lot of the original families, uh, and and that's all they ever knew. But there came a time where it was harmful to the community in many ways. Um, and I went to the city manager's office and said, it's time, this, this, this is done, I've had it, it's time to move on this, uh, because the company wasn't really uh, uh, treating the community correctly. Uh, in the 60s, they actually helped build Frisco. They were involved in the community and created you know, services for women that needed it and, and nonprofits. But during that time, they were just not, not a good community partner, and, and it was harmful. It was lead. Um, so that, that decision was clear. It was good for the city of Frisco. However, there was 250 families uh, that were paid well, um, that weren't necessarily didn't have the education to go do something else else their skills weren't could be used elsewhere and you knew you were putting them out of a job uh, that they couldn't replace and they were they were feeding their families they were providing for their families original Frisco people and that would probably and, and some of them were friends I knew some of them um, and so that was probably the heaviest weight that ever landed on me um, just because I knew what the right decision for the entire good of the city was. And I knew there was a very hurtful decision for those families. Uh, and it was hard to, to, to figure that one out. 
Um, and so, yeah, it, you you those were the difficult the mistakes. You make a mistake as long as you're honest and transparent about it and and clear about it. You know, people people really do forgive mistakes. Um, it, it's uh, as as long as you're you're honest. Yeah. Uh, thank you, and thank you for sharing that. I, I you're right. Leaders have to. You know, there's, sometimes there's not a right and wrong. That's just weighing the, weighing the trade-offs and understanding yeah. some people will come out the worse and some the better, yeah. I guess, in the short run, but what's the long term? Kind of related to that, you know, you've been in politics. You've been successful in, in outside of politics. Um, sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes you're accused of things or, you know, people suggest things or allude to things that just aren't true or not part, you know, that they don't understand the context. Have you ever had something that just seemed totally unfair to you? that you had to rebound, be resilient, manage through? And can you give us that story? Yeah, um, it happens a lot, actually, in politics. And that's why politics have gotten to where they are today. You, you, you know, people that don't know you uh, will say things that aren't true. I mean, they're far from the truth. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of examples of that, whether, you know, um, you know especially with social media, they'll just say stuff. Uh, you can make, I can give you specific examples, but you know, generally they'll just say, you know, you're um, uh, an alcoholic. You know, when you don't drink, <laughs> you know, things like that. And the the key to that is you can spend all your time trying to respond to all that stuff, or you can just you have to have a thick skin and move on and make sure you 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 make sure you um, uh, do enough good that. People know who you really are, uh, and people do. The, 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 I, I joke about it. Uh, in politics, 80 percent of people are generally really good people that weigh things out. Twenty percent are, you know, they're just some. They have some issues they're dealing with. Something's going on in their life. And out of those twenty percent, there's probably a good five percent of the five for the hundred percent of everybody are just not stable people. Honestly, they're just not there. Um, and they've always been. Those people have always been. There's nothing new. Um, what has changed over the years is now they have a platform, uh, and they can gang up together, and they—they're just—they speak as a voice. Whereas it was individuals, and you could deal with it. Now it's a group that just will say things, and you've all seen it, right? Things are just completely off base. Just where did they come up with this from? You know, uh, I saw one today. You know, the being passed around on social media that you know there's this line between the two oceans, the Pacific Atlantic, where they meet, and the waters don't mix, and and they showed a video of it from a cruise ship. Well, that was a cruise ship in Alaska, and that was a river. <laughs> but it's being passed around like it's the truth, right? <laughs> you know, that, and you see this every day. So that's unfortunate. And and the other thing I would say is um, for politicians, for um, elected officials, there's some really bad ones out there. I mean, there's really some good ones out there and, and some bad ones, and I'm just going to encourage the public to ask questions. Don't don't look at their skin color or what country they're from or their education levels. Get to know them as people. Um, some people just have those goals to keep going into higher office, not to serve. They're not, you know, servant leaders. They're not. They're they're just all about themselves, and it's so frustrating to really know who they are, yet watch people believe in them that they're not asking the right questions. Um, you know, so this, people died in this power outage in Texas. And I wrote this thing on my back. I couldn't keep quiet anymore. It's like, you know, all the elected officials in Austin start pointing fingers. We need to investigate this. We need to 
do something. Well, you know, this is the third time it's happened, and you're in charge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and people people will go on their Facebook and say, thank you for doing that. So, no, instead of saying, you know, take responsibility. You know, this is in your control. This is in your wheelhouse. We're elected to do that. Don't blame others. Um, you know, take responsibility. Go fix it. Uh, and so... I just encourage people to ask the right questions. <laughs> I, I love, I love the, I love that coaching. You know, it's how do you think independently and be a critical thinker and don't think things necessarily on surface value. Yeah. Right. Whether it be social media, whether it be what you see on TV, and if you live in an echo chamber and only hear one side, right, it, you can be a little bit of a lemming. Absolutely, yeah. and asking questions and taking the lead on things is definitely important. So, Mayor. You know, last thoughts, right? What if you were to leave anything with our audience, key learnings in addition to what you've shared today? What would that be? Um, you know, uh, there's, there's a couple of things I would say is relationships. Um, they're everything. You rely on other people. Uh, being able to pick up the phone and call the right person for advice or information. Uh, just get out of your comfort zone. Get to know people, and don't don't just go to them asking them for something. Get to know them first. Um, you know, nothing bothers me more than somebody keep asking for stuff. You know, it's like, let's interact a little bit. Let's figure out how to work together. Um, the other thing is, we're talking about today, the main subject today is history, your, your culture. Uh, embrace that. It took me forever to come back and embrace it. So I'll tell you, going back to that for a moment, I think yeah. it's important here. The first time I went back to Jordan, I remember I left when I was six, was in 2000. Uh, Nine, so I was much older. It's been a little while. Never been back, <laughs> um, and I went back with the mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly, who's a good friend, and the mayor of Oklahoma City, Mick Cornett, uh, and we did. And Richard Daly set up the year before uh, the U.S. Arab Mayor Summit, and where they came to Chicago and learned about how we do things, how do we communicate, how do we be transparent in our projects. And so 2009, we went to Jordan, uh, and we held a three-day conference there. And it was very frustrating to me because the conference was great. It was 40 Arabic mayors, we, you know, and you learn really fast, uh, no matter where you are in the world, um, you all face the same problems. Roads, you know, right? Yeah. Public yeah. safety, education. I don't care if it's in Jordan or here. It, it does, it's, you know, the mayors have that weight on them of trying to figure those things out because that's the basic things. And that's why international, if I had a choice, I'd make every high school kid do one year of high school overseas. Yeah. Just because you, you learn, you're really all the same. You're get all, out of your bubble. Get right? out of your bubble. Um, so we did this three-day conference. It was a great conference, got to know people, but you come in, get in a Mercedes from the airport, drive 100 miles an hour, get in, inside, do your three days, and you leave. And I said, you know, I just came back to the place I was born, uh, and, and I didn't get to see it. It was a couple things, but it's very... So the next year, I took the whole family. We went back for a vacation there. And I got to see where I was baptized in a Christian church. I learned my church is one of the top churches in the, in the world. I didn't know that. St. George's, which is they discovered in Madaba this mosaic on the floor that, that thousands of tourists come through there to see it because it's a, a depiction of the holy places that's very accurate in the, in the Middle East. And so things I've never knew. How did you feel at that point? I mean, you're going back and, and... It was unbelievable. You know, I'm standing next to the urn I was baptized in. It was like, you know, it, it just I'm, it felt like I missed 30 years of, of me, yeah. uh, of learning about who I was or, you know, what, how I grew up. Um, this huge, you know, 50-foot door to the, our house, the 
into the courtyard really was only a 12-foot door. It was 50 feet then. Yeah, 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 it was 50 feet then. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was a definitely a learning experience and that made me uh, a you know, more, more well-rounded person. I wish I had done it before. Well, and connecting your family to that heritage and yeah, that identity, yeah. right? We all have a need for identity. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I think there's a consciousness of that more than ever now. But then there's also – it's all about identity, right, which, you know, is an interesting twist perhaps in our world today. Um, but I, thank you for sharing that. I mean, so uh, we're more similar than different. In some yeah. other words. Absolutely. I agree with that. And we're more good than bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's probably the one takeaway you asked today is – there's so much noise out there. And, and being an elected official, unfortunately, one of the bad things uh, was I got to see a lot of behind the scene. There's a lot of individuals out there out for themselves. And um, you and I wouldn't hire them, but they yeah. got elected. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of good elected officials. I'm not putting down elected officials. There's a lot of people that are servant leaders that give it their all. But there's a few bad apples in there. And you look and say, how, how in the world did they get elected? And, and they take the bad and they magnify it. That's how they keep going forward. And it's, it's a shame to watch the negativity. I keep reminding people, what do I do when I come back, when I go overseas? I've been to China and Japan and South Korea and Dubai numerous times. I get out playing and kiss the ground. It's, it's, you know, we're Americans. Um, we don't know how lucky we have it, uh, the opportunity here. And that's why my dad, going back full circle, my dad moved our family here, not easily, without money, worked really hard here, because he knew the opportunity was in the U.S. Um, it's what we make of it. You know, you don't, you know, we don't need handouts. You have opportunity. You, you have uh, a way to provide for your family, to create jobs. Um, and you just don't know it. But go to a couple of those other countries, and uh, you'll figure it out really fast that you have a lot of freedoms. And we need to start focusing on those things instead of the, the negative things out there. Um, I just, yeah, I hate the negativity, and it's really frustrating to watch. Yeah, and, and I love what you said is some people make a career of amplifying the negative yeah. versus amplifying the positive. Yeah. And I love that word amplifying because you really do right. make a choice there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very inspirational. That's really cool. Talk about your dad and mom must have been extraordinarily proud. Yeah, well, they were very special, keeping us very together, providing for us. My mom's still alive. My dad passed away. Uh, she's still the matriarch of the family. We go there sure. just a few hours. Whoever watched my Greek, fat Greek wedding, that's who we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'll look at me one hand as she put the plate of food in front of me. You know, you need to lose weight, honey. Have another plate of food. Take it, sister, but hey, it's yeah. family. Yeah, it works. Love is food, right? Love like my family. Yeah. Food, yeah. So, no, I, I actually like your family already. Yeah. Food thing Did is you true. say food? Yeah, yeah food. Right. Yeah. No. Well, thank you so much. And this has been really, really helpful. I appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, and your, your insight, your stories, uh, your beliefs have obviously led to a lot of success for yourself and an impact on literally tens of thousands of other people. So thank you for your service. Thank you for being a friend. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being part of American Narratives. Well, thank you. Thank you, Thank Mayor. you for having me on here. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I love hearing the stories. All right. Thank you. Thank you. American Narratives is brought to you by CMP, a minority and women-owned firm providing solutions across the full talent life cycle, from recruitment and assessment to leadership coaching and career transition solutions. To learn more, visit www.careermp.com.